Happy Monday, and welcome to Not Boring. Today, we're going to wax a little philosophical. But first, a word from our sponsor, Masterworks. So I'm sure that you all know by now that my portfolio is long art. Yes, I'm talking about NFTs, but I'm also talking about real physical masterpieces for Masterworks. Here's some stuff about art that you probably don't know. One, contemporary art pieces outperform the S&P 500's returns by 174% from 1995 to 2020. Two, the Fed actually is not able to print more Picassos. Three, Citi's research found that contemporary art shares literally zero correlation with the S&P 500. And four, I'm the proud owner in shares and iconic paintings by Warhol, Banksy, and Basquiat. Tons of investors already snagged an easy 32% return in 2020, so don't miss out on their next offering. Head to my unique link at masterworks.io slash notboring. That's masterworks.io slash notboring. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Existential Optimism Over the weekend, after more than a decade since my last philosophy class, I reread Jean-Paul Sartre's Existentialism is a Humanism. In the 1946 work, based on his 1945 lecture to the Club Maintenant in Paris, Sartre lays out his clearest overview of the philosophy and dismantles critiques against it. It's a 20-minute read, and I highly suggest it. Of course, it's linked in the post at notboring.co. Paul Millard recommended At the Existentialist Cafe as an easier entry point, also linked. Whatever your entry point, I think we're living through a time in which existentialism can be particularly useful. Why? Power is shifting away from institutions and towards individuals. If we're going to have more control over our own lives, working from anywhere, owning the internet, governing the institutions that support us, then we need to figure out how to handle that responsibility. We need a self-governing philosophy. Existentialism is a great place to start. Existentialism. Existentialism has always resonated with me. French existentialism was actually my only A-plus in college. Right now in your head, you may have a vague black and white image of a French person smoking a cigarette at a cafe. When normal people think about existentialism at all, they typically think about it as a pessimistic philosophy full of angst, despair, and meaninglessness. People confuse existentialism with nihilism, the belief that life is meaningless. And if you've watched The Big Lebowski, you'll remember, we believe in nothing, Lebowski. Anyway, in Existentialism is a Humanism, Sartre disagrees wholeheartedly with that classification. He said, no doctrine is more optimistic since it declares that man's destiny lies within himself. The ancient Greek philosophers believed that everything, including humans, came with an essence pre-installed essence and then existence. In Existentialism is a Humanism, Sartre proposed that existentialists share the opposite belief. Existence comes before essence. We are nothing until we decide what to be. Or as Sartre put it, and he went heavy on the man throughout this piece, if it was a different time, he said, if, however, it is true that existence is prior to essence, man is responsible for what he is. 
Thus, the first effect of existentialism is that it puts every man in possession of himself as he is and places the entire responsibility for his existence squarely upon his own shoulders. And when we say that man is responsible for himself, we do not mean that he is responsible only for his own individuality, but he is responsible for all men. Existentialism was a product of its time. While Sartre was the first philosopher to identify as an existentialist in the mid-20th century, the philosophy dates back to the mid-19th century with Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard, who believed that each individual is responsible for giving meaning to his or her own life and for living it authentically or passionately and sincerely. On a 2001 BBC radio podcast, In Our Time, Philosophy, University of London reader and philosophy Dr. A.C. Grayling described the conditions from which existentialist thought was born. Scientific history, which was a product of German scholarship in the 19th century, had called very, very many things a question. That sense, also, that religious verities and religious sources for morality were under threat by the view that the whole universe was governed by natural laws, not by transcendent ones. Then, of course, the development of Darwinian theory. All that conspired together to give some of the philosophers of the 19th century the sense that they had to look for a different ground of value. As Nietzsche put it more succinctly, God is dead. The Enlightenment to Nietzsche closed the door on the possibility of the existence of God. Until that point, people derive meaning and a set of rules from the existence of God and from religion. Without God, then, from where were people to derive meaning and purpose? Existentialism assumes that there is no God, and therefore that our existence comes before our essence. We exist, and then we make meaning. If no one designed us, then we define ourselves by our actions. Now, I'm not dumb enough to weigh in on the existence of God in public. This piece isn't about God. But I think that we're in the middle of an equally profound shift, and that it's worth pausing for a moment to solidify our philosophical and moral footing before everything spins too fast and runs away from us. Institutions are dead. If existentialism sprung from the need to make sense of a world in which scientific progress called God into question, it may also fit a world in which technological progress is calling institutions into question. In 2017, Pew surveyed Americans on what provides them with a sense of meaning. Family won by a landslide at a nice 69%, but career blew everything else out of the water at 34%, showing up in 50% more responses than the next closest, money, and 70% more than spirituality and faith. People love complaining about their jobs, but they also love the purpose a job gives them. The Wally future, in which we don't need to work because the robots do everything for us, is a terrifying dystopia. Like religion in the 19th century, though, the notion of career is under assault. We're in the, media, we're in the middle of what the media is calling the Great Resignation. Microsoft's Work Trend Index found that 40% of Americans are considering quitting their jobs this year. PwC's Next in Work put the number higher. 65% of employees they surveyed were looking for a new job and 88% of executives said the turnover was higher than usual. In July, 4 million Americans, 2.7% of the workforce, quit their jobs. It's not just white-collar jobs either. Practically every restaurant in my neighborhood is looking for workers. Many have shortened their hours because they're short-staffed. For those who are working, which, to be fair, is still the vast, vast majority of the population, 13.4% were still working from home as of August. Many of them are never going back. Not being tied to a career or an office can be a great and liberating thing, but it also removes a source of stability and meaning. At the same time, 
Americans' confidence in institutions is declining across the board. According to Gallup polls, the percentage of Americans who have, quote, a great deal or quite a lot of faith in institutions has been declining steadily, aside from the military and Supreme Court, since they started polling in the early 1970s. Since 2000, the average high trust score across institutions has dropped from 42% to 35%. And then there's Web3. The promise of Web3 is that it will put ownership and control back in the hands of the people, combining the best aspects of Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. Down with institutions, up with individuals. The Sovereign Individual, written by James Dale Davidson and William Rees Mogg in 1996, predicted that we were about to enter the fourth stage of human society. First was hunter-gatherer societies pre-10,000 BCE. Then came agricultural societies at 10,000 BCE, industrial societies in 1760 CE, and then informational societies around the year 2000. Remember, they're writing this from 1996. The book's authors got an eerie amount right about the future, including the prediction that, quote, the building blocks of the cyber economy, cyber money, cyber banking, and an unregulated global cyber market and securities are almost bound to come into existence on a large scale. As a result, it's become somewhat of a Bible for crypto people. Of particular importance to our conversation is the idea that power shifted from the church to nation states and the transition from agricultural societies to industrial societies and the power will shift from nation-states to sovereign individuals in the transition to informational societies. And it's happening. After I wrote Power to the Person, my friend and now collaborator Lillian Lee called me out. She tweeted, Packy, did you just write the thesis for the sovereign individual without referencing the book? I did. It's a testament to Davison and Reese Mogg's pressings that I accidentally recreated their argument 25 years later with all the current facts at my disposal and without having read their book. But the sovereign individual is about why and how individuals will take power and how to take advantage of the shift. It didn't help with how to create meaning once we have it. We're still very much in the transition phase now. Institutions still hold significantly more power than individuals. This is the fun, carefree part, the part where others still have the responsibility and we can position ourselves in opposition to those others. The office, big government, centralized corporations, full-time jobs. Those are the things that we don't want. We're still the dog chasing the car, and not yet the dog that has caught the car. We can operate on vibes, engage in silly tribalism like office versus remote, Bitcoin versus Ethereum, etc., and put off concretizing what happens when we no longer have the things that we don't want. Rebels don't need philosophy. Rulers do. Individuals' power is growing. As Spider-Man understands so well, with great power will come great responsibility. A philosophy for freedom and recreation. What became existentialism was born out of the transition from agricultural societies to industrial societies, from church to nation-state. When many could no longer put the responsibility on God, existentialism offered a way to think about taking responsibility for themselves. The version most are familiar with today, Sartre's existentialism, sharpened during World War II. Sartre, Camus, and Simone de Beauvoir became celebrities in Europe as existentialism spread. After World War II ended, existential comics Corey Muller explained, there was this atmosphere of, we can recreate society. We can recreate ourselves. We can do anything that we want. You might hear those very same optimistic calls today. We're in the transition from industrial society to informational society, from nation state to individual. We're emerging from a global catastrophe, a pandemic this time, instead of a war. There's a strong, we can recreate society ourselves and do anything we want, breeze blowing. But there comes a point in every story when those who are fighting to gain power gain it. 
and need to begin the hard work of ruling when they're no longer the underdog, but the ones in charge. My guess is that existentialism is going to make a comeback as people realize that self-sovereignty is a double-edged sword. There's no one else to blame. As Sartre said, we are left alone without excuse. That is what Sartre meant when he said man is condemned to be free. At the time of Sartre's lecture in 1946, that was potentially fundamentally true. People could choose what to do at any moment, but not very practical. If people wanted to stay alive, they needed to find work and do as they were told. If they wanted to fit into their communities, they needed to attend church. Sartre would call this living inauthentically, but it was the practical reality. As a well-educated person from a well-to-do family, he could afford to live authentically. Many couldn't. Even today, the ability to not have to rely on oneself for employment is reserved for the lucky ones. The richest countries in the world have the lowest rates of self-employment. The United States has the lowest self-employment on the list at 6.3%. With the rise of the creator economy, entrepreneurship, remote work, and Web3, more people are pushing for the right to fend for themselves, to set their own course, make their own decisions, and bear responsibility for their own actions. I'm all for it. I work for myself, as a creator, from home, and I'm putting more and more of my time, net worth, and energy into Web3. If these trends continue, and if Web3 challengers disrupt more incumbents, if better APIs and infrastructure make it easier for anyone to build their own products and businesses, individuals will have a greater ability to shape how the world works than at any point in modern human history. If you're reading this, you're likely going to be involved in that shaping. That's an immense amount of freedom, and with it comes an immense amount of responsibility. We're going to need to make the transition, maybe in the next couple of years, maybe in the next couple of decades, from plucky YOLOing underdogs to the people responsible for how things work. We'll rely on and get to blame others less than we ever had. We'll get to make our own decisions. This is one of the reasons I'm a maximalist minimalist. Fighting over whose blockchain better serves the under 100 million people in Web3 today, instead of figuring out a responsible path towards working together to onboard the next billion users, feels silly and inauthentic. And it's not just blockchain maximalism, but maximalism of all sorts. Whenever I see maximalism or dogma, I see people who aren't ready to handle their freedom and make their own meaning. That's not to say that we should all act in our own self-interest with disregard for others or that we shouldn't join communities. Existentialism is not a selfish philosophy. Particularly after the war, Sartre realized that existentialism needed to cope with togetherness, community, and even morality. In Existentialism is a Humanism, he wrote that people should make choices as if they're making that choice for the whole human race, asking, am I really a man who has the right to act in such a manner that humanity regulates itself by what I do? Any philosophy for the modern era will need to cope with the idea that our freedom is embedded together, that more than ever, society will be bottoms up versus top down. If we want to decrease institutional power, we also lower institutional responsibility. We'll need to be responsible for each other. A modern philosophy will need to confront the fact that we need to create meaning for ourselves, but that life is not meaningless. I hope the nihilism and hedonism don't rule the day. Last week, there was a meme on Twitter about whether DAOs can fire people, kicked off by a tweet by Rick Burton that asked whether anybody's ever been fired by a DAO. It turns out that people have been fired from DAOs, but I think it highlights the kind of challenges that we're going to face as these things get more decentralized, liquid, and chaotic. New norms, rules, and technology, like something that tracks contributions on chain, will help but it will be more important than ever for people to think about what it means to take responsibility for themselves. Existentialism isn't perfect, but I think it's a good starting point. In the parlance of composability, 
It's a philosophy Lego on top of which a distributed group of individual leaders can build. We need modern philosophers, much better philosophers than me, to wrestle with modern questions. It would be foolish to be the generation with the most individual agency and the least intentional thought about what to do with it. No quest is more optimistic since it declares that our destiny lies within ourselves. That's all for today. I hope that you have a great week and I will talk to you next Monday. Mm-hmm.